This podcast is brought to you by Wikes Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. I think we're probably here. All right, we're ready. Good morning. Today you get to toot your horn, blow your whistles, all that thing. I don't know. As you can tell, this is going to be an interesting morning. <laughs> so we go ahead and get started. Father, we just want to tell you that we love you so much. We thank you for all you do for us. We uh, ask you to be with Pam today and, she, and uh, pour your heart out. And we just pray that uh, it'll be exactly what you put on her heart. We love you so much, Father. Thank you, Jesus. To him we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, I'll okay. let you know. Right. I'll let you know in front of everybody. Okay. I'm going to pull away from this tabernacle, though. Yeah, I will. I will. I'm, I'm really glad to be here today. Let's, let's give all this a hand. Before I get started, I, I went in my office this past week, and there was a bag of goodies on my, on my desk, and it was this bracelet and a whole bunch of wonderful things. And I just want to thank the gal that sent that to me, touched me very deeply. And you know who you are. Thank you very much. Good morning to everybody. Today's going to be a fun class. Can you tell? <laughs> I tell you, 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 nobody knows how to teach like the good Lord, right? You will never, ever forget this class. Do you know why? Who wants to take a stab at why? Yeah, yeah, because you have a lot of things to look at and to eat and to taste, and you're just never going to forget this. That's how God teaches, with pictures and tastes and smells and aromas. And it's great, and I just love it. Today we're going to be um, going over Purim. And i tell you what I'm going to do, because I don't think I could really teach and be serious if I had this on all day. So I'm going to take that off. Woo! I'll tell you, between the masks and the bifocals. Okay. Thank you, Amy, for using that for your fan. Today we're going to learn. You're shaking yours. I'm shaking. Uh, yeah. I wanted to get masks for everybody, but we couldn't find any. So if this was truly a Purim session, you would be wearing a mask in outfits along with having your noisemaker. But um, today we're looking at the Feast of Purim. Say that. Purim. Some people call it Purim, but we call it Purim, so that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Say that again, Purim. Purim. The word means lots. Anybody ever play the lottery? <laughs> okay, that's what the word means, lots or lottery. It's um, when some, something is chosen by chance, and I, or like straws or dice, you know. We, we play bunko and we throw a dice to see who's the winner when there's a tie. So I'm going to put these dice up there so you can get the idea that that's what's happening here. The word Purim means lots. Say that again. Lots. Very good. Evil Haman. Now I'm going to have you, in, I'm going to have you meet our main characters. Evil Haman decided by lottery the day the Jews were going to be totally and completely annihilated during the Persian Empire. Totally killed. And every person would be rewarded by receiving the plunder from the Jews that they that they killed, isn't that a great isn't that a great way to encourage people to go slay a bunch of wealthy people? That's what was happening in our story today. And the day fell on the thirteenth day of Adar, which is our February or March. 
Purim of this year was last Wednesday. Isn't that cool? Last Wednesday, Jews all across the world were celebrating the Feast of Purim. And um, I was trying to explain all of this to the teens in about 15 seconds or, or less. But the Feast of Purim is a celebration. Get that horn ready. The Feast of Celebration celebrates the deliverance. Oh, very good. Charles blowing her little horn. Celebrates the deliverance, which would, which would be cute. Let's do that together. Get your whistles out and you do your horn. Which celebrates the deliverance. Yes, yes. Of the Persian Jews, say that. The Persian Jews over the most evil plot of Haman as he sought to exterminate God's holy covenant people. Very good. When I was in the fourth grade, our teacher, Mrs. White, read to us a chapter every day out of Charlotte's Web. Remember that story? was the highlight of my day. And I don't think we ever outgrow stories, do we? Today you're going to get a story. I'm privileged to tell you the history uh, that's behind this Feast of Purim. Say that, Purim. I asked Ed when I was trying to get all this ready a couple of years ago. We were just learning the feast, and I was getting, getting around, and, you know, he's in the next room. And I said, have you ever heard of Purim? He said, have I ever heard of Boring? Yes, I've heard of Boring. I've sat through so many boring church services in my life, and you have too. And you want to know, know why I did it? So I wouldn't go to hell. <laughs> We are so neurotic. Let me tell you what neurotic means. It means a mental disorder with abnormally intense anxiety. Now, if you're laid back, raise your hand if you're laid back. God bless you. I'm not either. I said not boring. Purim. Have you heard of Purim? And uh, that's, have you guys ever heard of it before? Raise your hand. Any of you? Okay couple of you, so this is going to be great because you've never heard of this. It's going to be all new material. You know what, though? What we learn in here for this class, this hour, is so important. It's so important because we get to get back into that ancient Hebrew text and we get to taste the sweetness of what God... God could have left so many things in this book and he left Purim for us to know and to study and to celebrate. So we get to do that. Teach your kids. Say it with me. Teach your kids again. Teach your kids again. Teach your kids. You go from this place and you teach your kids and you teach your grandkids because chances are if you didn't know about Purim, they don't either. Who's going to teach them? The church only helps you. You are supposed to take the main, the main leadership in teaching your children these wonderful things. Take it. I was talking this past week to Tyler uh, Marty and Ben's son in the foyer of the church. And he said, what, what are you doing? Because I was hauling these posters around. And I said, we're going to be studying Purim. And he said, what's that? And I said, you will know. After this class, your mom and dad will sit you down and tell you all about Purim. He said, well, I know about Easter. I said, you know about Easter? He said, yeah, we should call Easter first fruits. <laughs> and we really shouldn't call it Easter because that's from a Babylonian fertility goddess. And I'm like, go, Benji! Go, Marty! I was so blessed. So anyway, the Feast of Purim still celebrated all over the world by faithful Jews during our February or our March. Actually, it kind of has a Mardi Gras flavor. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> And many, many people think that probably Mardi Gras has its roots going back to the Feast of Purim. 
the same thing happens. The, pe- the children wear brightly colored clothes. They have noisemakers. And there's just a lot of the same flavors. They eat sweet cakes. And a lot of people think that's where Mardi Gras came from, and I bet it did. I know the mo- for the most part, churches across America do not celebrate the Feast of Israel. I hope one day in the near future they will do that. Haven't you enjoyed it? Wouldn't you enjoy it if seven weeks or maybe nine, if we included the other two, nine sermons a year, nine out of 52, you are reminded of all of this? Because you'll forget. You'll forget. Wonderful. I hope that happens, that God turns us back to the richness of these feasts. We all love the stories, and we can take so much of this with us and share our kids and build our faith. Okay. Throughout history, throughout the history of God's people now, you're going to have to rewind back to the beginning of this wonderful history. God's people often became unfaithful. And you know what God would do as his people became unfaithful to him and unfaithful to his mission. God would allow pagan armies uh, to come and take his people captive, right? We've talked about that. The Assyrians came in and would take God's people captive. And finally, God's people would fall on their faith, right? Seek God's way, and then God would, God would deliver them. So we had the Assyrians that came down and took God's people. Then we had the Babylonians that came down and took God's people captive. And eventually, the Medes and the Persians. Say that. The Medes and the Persians. And during the rule, it's during the rule of the Persians, the Persian Empire, that our story takes place. The Babylonians, anybody in here remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Okay, the Babylonians, that's all that old King Nebuchadnezzar, they came down and took God's people captive about 587 years before Christ. Okay, that's what happened at that time in God's history. The leading citizens of God, the leading citizens of Judah were chained and they were forced to go and move to Babylon. And about 100 years later then, the Persian Empire came through and whipped Nebuchadnezzar's behind, right? And so who's in charge now? The Persians. And they said, all of you Jews can go back home. But some of them didn't want to go back home because they had lived there and they were comfortable and they had put roots down. Do you know how that happens, right? You didn't really expect it to happen, but it just happened. And so some of them wouldn't return. And it's those group, those little cluster of God's people that didn't return home that we're going to be talking about today. It's during this time when the Babylonians got their tailbones whipped by King Xerxes that our story takes place. Now, I want, you to, I want you all to learn our characters, okay? King Xerxes, who has King Xerxes? Oh, King Xerxes is hiding on the floor. Marty, could you, could you do that for me? Lift him up high. Everybody can, can see King Xerxes. Very good. Okay, his, his name means, say it with me, Mighty Man. Mighty Man. Queen Vashti. Who's got Queen Vashti? Yep, she's got the green tail. Lift her a little higher there, Sam. Very good. Her name means one to be desired. Okay, she's desired. She must be very beautiful, and she was. Mordecai. Who's got Mordecai? Very good. Mordecai is the Jew who stood strong. Say that. The Jew who stood strong. And then we have the lovely Esther. Very good. The lovely Esther. Her Jewish name was Hadassah. Say that. Do you notice anything about her name, Esther? 
Anybody noticing? Yes, it's the Babylonian name. That's her Babylonian name, but her Jewish name was Hadassah. And then we have the evil Haman. Kim, lift it high and shake it. The poster, I mean. Okay, now every time I say their name, the posters are going to be lifted and you're going to be learning the story. This is the true story that instituted this Purim, this eighth festival that God's people celebrate every year. Purim means lots, like drawing lots, throwing dice. And every year, faithful Jews across the world still celebrate this feast because it's a time of great deliverance. Blow those horns! <laughs> Great. Okay, now we're going to help. Paul's going to help us out. Paul, if you'll stand behind the table. He's called our agitator. Now he's going to, when you, throughout the story, throughout the story, when you hear the name Haman, lift up that poster, Kimmy. When you hear the name Haman, He's going to bang on the table, and that's your cue to start blowing your whistle. But I know you'll get carried away, and I've got to tell the story. So he'll tell you when to stop so I can finish the story, okay? So, Paul, you just stand there. I've got a little bit of introduction to do here. Every year, though, the Jews celebrate this feast for delivering God's people from the evil plot of Haman. Now, not... That'll work. That'll work. That'll work. That'll work. From the beginning of time, though, tyrants, if you notice, from the beginning of time, tyrants have sought to destroy the apple of God's eye, haven't they? From the beginning of time, people have hated the Jews, not all people, but many people, and they've sought to destroy them. On my list here is a whole bunch of paper and all those red circles. Do you see all those red circles? Those are the times since for 2,000 years people have sought to destroy God's people, the Jewish nation. That's staggering to me, sobering to me. So God instituted in his feasts, not, not in the ones in Leviticus 23, but later God instituted two feasts, repeat after me, Purim and Hanukkah. Hanukkah. And these two feasts helped the world, the people celebrating this, to focus that we should not have hearts that were anti-Semitic. What does that mean? Anybody? We, yeah, we need to love the Jews. We don't want to be prejudiced against them. We don't need to hate them. We don't need to persecute them. So we have two feasts in the lineup of the nine that, that remind God's people to love the Jews. And that's so awesome about this. We need to teach our children that we need to love the Jewish people because they gave us the Bible. And what else did they give us? They gave us Messiah. And we must be thankful to those people. We've been grafted into that. And we need to teach our children these feasts so we can help them to understand how much we need to love and support Israel and the Jews. And you hear that on the news. You'll, your little ears will be perked up now. But anyway, for centuries and for centuries and for centuries, people have sought to destroy the Jews like the wicked Pharaoh. Remember him in our first stories. What did he do? He sought to destroy the firstborn males. Remember, he bashed them on their, the, bashed the infant boys on their head, threw their little bodies in the back of the royal wagon, and took those little babies down to the Nile. And what did happen to the babies? 
They were fed to the crocodiles. And then we have the Amalekites. Right after God's people were delivered, right after they walked into the right side of redemption, the Amalekites flooded in and started whooping up on God's people. And then we have King Herod. Remember King Herod, the king who killed baby boys at Christmas time. He didn't care. He wanted to be rid of them. And then we have Haman. Wake up! Very good. Then we have Haman. A a descendant of Amalek. Say that, Amalek. Who tried 500 years before Jesus was born to eliminate all the Jews. Why in the world would he try to eliminate all of the Jews? Yes, so no, Messiah, listen to me. God's Hebrew people came to the Red Sea right after Pharaoh ordered them out. God split the Red Sea for them, and they crossed on dry ground, and they were on the right side of redemption. Blast those trumpets! (laughs) What a joy! They remembered. They remembered. Say it. They remembered the slain Passover lamb and the blood on the doorposts. They remembered Lael Shimmering. What is that? Oh, oh what's Lael Shimmering? Say it, the night of watching. The night of watching. Say Lael Shimmering. They remembered the screams of the Egyptian women as they found slain their boys. They remembered as Pharaoh walked out, beaten finally, carrying his slain son. And he told Moses, get out, get out, get out. Take your wives, take your sons and your daughters and your flocks and your herds and get out. And God's people were delivered. Very good. They were delivered and they saw the bloated bodies of Pharaoh's army wash ashore. And they heard Miriam as she sang her song of deliverance. Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has been hurled into the sea. And they remembered God kept His promises. Say them with me. I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. And I will make you my own. Awesome, awesome what we've learned. But then, just on the right side of redemption... The Amalekites came down and attacked God's newly redeemed people. Hear me now. When you find yourself on the right side of redemption in your life, you watch out for the Amalekites because they're going to try to attack you and drag you back into bondage. Do you hear me? Watch out. Be alert. The Amalekites are descendants of the godless, immoral Esau. Do you guys remember Jacob and Esau? I gave you a little picture of Jacob and Esau. They're the twins that Isaac and Rebekah had. Rebekah was barren for 20 years and finally she became pregnant. And the twins were jostling inside her womb. And she goes and she has a little talk with the Lord. And he says, two nations are within your womb. Two nations, and they were fighting even in the womb for supremacy. And he said, the younger is going to rule the older. Isn't that awesome? That didn't happen in that culture. Why am I telling you about Jacob and Esau? Why am I telling you about godless and moral Esau? And, and Jacob, the man who wore wrinkles and all, had a heart for eternal things. Because our villain today, lift him up, Kim. 
Our villain today, Haman, is a descendant of the godless, immoral Amalekites. And I want you to get the connection because in our story today, Jacob and Esau aren't fighting in the womb of their mother. Jacob and Esau aren't fighting on the, on, under the tent of their father for the birthright. Jacob and Esau are found in our lesson on the stage of history between the evil Haman very good, and God's people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lift her up. Very good. Very good. Uh, Hadassah. Very good. Esther. This is so awesome because when you start connecting the dots, you, you just never see the story again. Throughout history, though, the Amalekites waged war against God's people. And it was a satanic plan to what? Who said it over here? Yes, to block our redemption. To block our redemption. Actually, this is the last time in the Old Testament that such a plan, such a plot came forth against God's holy anointed people of covenant. But our God is El Olam, everlasting to everlasting, the God of the what? The big picture. He is Elohim, God awesome and mighty in creation, the God who swore a covenant with himself. Why? He would never stop his work, never stop his labor until what? All things are restored and made whole. Absolutely. Never going to stop. God used a frightened, young Jewish girl to accomplish his plan. Do you ever feel young and frightened and not worthy to the task? God can use you. Say it. God can use you again. God can use you and he is using you. Through the encouragement of her cousin Mordecai. Get up there, Benji. Very good. Through the encouragement of her cousin Mordecai from the tribe of Benjamin. Say that. Benjamin. Benjamin had... Years, years, years before this story, King Saul was a Benjaminite. And he had the same issue with the Amalekites. And here we are, all these years later, the same story on the stage of history. God's people standing opposed to the evil plans of that wicked one. Satanic. It's a satanic story. And who wins? Who wins the day? Who wins the day? Absolutely, absolutely God wins the day. Psalms 83, 4 says, O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God, be not still. See how your enemies are astir. You ever feel that way? See how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against your cherished ones. That's you and that's me too. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Look, why are they trying so desperately so Israel will be remembered no more? Because redemption's hanging in the balance. And this is so awesome that God's that God preserved these stories for us. With one mind they plot together. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Ammon and the Amalekites and the Philistines of Tyre and Syria have joined them. These ancient foes sought desperately to rid the world of our Jewish loved ones because of their anti-Semitic hatred towards the Jews. Look at the list. Is it alive today? Is it alive today? In our more modern times, we can think of Hitler, right? And we can think of Stalin and Ahmadinejad. Did I say that right? I've been practicing it. 
Who can say it better? Ahmadinejad. Isn't that how you say it? The madman of Iran. You guys get that confused? Or is it just me? All those countries. I get it confused too. Syria is... um. Yeah, Yep. Who is Syria? <laughs> Ranting and raving. Look, they, they want to kill. Ahmadinejad, you've heard him on the news. Ranting and raving. What is his passion? To kill every Jew and to kill every Christian. Say it again. Christian, let me tell you something. We've been grafted in together, have we not? And he's looking. He's not the only one. And you've got to watch the news and we need to stand with Israel. Say it. Stand with Israel. Say it again. Stand with Israel. Very good. For centuries, political leaders have sought to slaughter millions of Jews. We need these stories taught again in our church. Our little children don't understand there's a world out there that wants to rid the globe of our Jewish loved ones. We've got to work against that. Now, during this time in Persia, when all these Jews were living under King Xerxes, lift him up, King Xerxes, they were just living their life as usual, like you and me. They were buying and selling and marrying and making their wares and raising their kids when all of a sudden things drastically changed. Out of the clear blue, out of nowhere, the prime minister, Haman, <laughs> talked King Xerxes into slaying all of the Jews of the whole empire. Terrible, terrible. What? Let's just think about this for a minute. Let's look at a parallel. What if it was us? What if we're just busy raising our kids and going to work, living moral lives, refusing to bow down to the gods of the culture? And what if some tyrannical ruler says, those Christians are so weird. Oh, that they should say that. Oh, that we should be that peculiar. I mean, our class is a little peculiar, right? But oh, that they should say those Christians are so peculiar. They won't... They don't get involved in the gods of the culture. And they get together on their sacred holy day and they eat the flesh of their Messiah and they drink the blood of their Messiah. Does that sound weird? That's, That's what people could say of us. They're so bizarre. And let's just rid the world of them. Let's put a price on their heads. What would we do? It's happened before. It's happening today across this globe that people who bowed the knee to our Messiah are sought for to be slain for no other reason except Jesus is their Messiah. This is so important that we learn this story. This stuff happens again and again and again. So let's look at the story. 500 years before Jesus was born, God was still keeping his promises to his people because he's El Lamb, the God of the what? The big, the big picture. picture. And all of the people were allowed when Xerxes came back. Xerxes! When all of the people, when he, when he started ruling, they were allowed to go back home to the promised land. But they stayed. They didn't want to go back. They stayed. Now, what I'm going to do is I tell the story. I'm going to read. The children at Purim always have a storybook written to, uh, story read to them, and I'm going to read. But like I say, when I say the word Haman, blow and shout because we hate Haman, right? And Paul's going to tell you when to settle down. And if, you, and if you did not get your cookie, did everybody get their hamatoshin? Say that. Hamatoshin. Kim, lift up your poster. Kim, lift up your poster. And everybody look at Haman's hat. Haman's hat 
was made in the same shape as your Hanatosh and cookie, right? Now, sort of kind of like that. Now, the idea was Jewish children hear the story of the evil, wicked Haman. And then they eat their Hamatosh and cookie, which has Haman in the name, the Hamatosh and cookie. And the idea is they're going to eat his hat and destroy his memory. Do you think those kids ever forget their story of Haman? No. Okay, let me read from my let me read from my storybook, the story of Haman. The king of Persia at the time was King Xerxes and ruled a vast kingdom of 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. In the third year of his reign, King Xerxes gave a banquet for all the nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia, the princes and the nobles and the provinces were all present. For a full 180 days he displayed his vast wealth of his kingdom and splendor and glory of his majesty. And when the days were over, the king gave another banquet lasting seven days. Now, God's never mentioned in the book of Esther. But these Jewish people reading this picked up on this, right? What did they pick up on? The covenant. God's never going to forget his covenant to his people. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. It was an open bar, folks, and they were having a blast. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink and drink and drink with no restrictions. For the kings instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man whatever he wanted. Now, Queen Vashti, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, say that. Seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, I mean, he was wasted drunk, he commanded how many eunuchs? Seven eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti. Her name means one who is desired, okay? Wearing her royal crown, and that's all he wanted her to wear, if you know what I mean. In order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at, he wanted old Queen Vashti to come in do a little striptease for all of his guests. But when the attendants delivered King's command, the King's command, Queen Vashti said, "You know, I don't do that anymore. You know, we do things right sometimes. We grow up, and we say, I don't do that anymore." And she refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. And he consulted with his wise men asking, What must be done to Queen Vashti? She has not obeyed my command. The wise men put their heads together and came up with this decree. Zach, face your audience and let's have it with some passion. Queen Vashti, or Vashti, has done wrong, not only against the king, but against all the nobles and all the people of all the providence of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. 
This very day, the Persian women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to the disrespect and discord. <laughs> Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of the king, Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. <laughs> now that law was proclaimed in every language across the 127 provinces. Men, open your little page that I gave you. It's stapled. And in unison, say this together. The, the new law was proclaimed. That what? That sounds so weak. <laughs> Let's try it again, men. <laughs> One, two, three. That's what the new law said. It's been going on forever, hasn't it? But later, kings, the king's anger cooled off, and he got to missing his queen Vashti. So the wise men decided to make a search for all the beautiful young virgins so they could be entering into a beauty contest so the king could choose a new queen and invitations went throughout the land. Sounds like a Cinderella story, doesn't it? Uh, Mordecai, 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 <laughs> who lived with his cousin Esther because Mordecai, Mordecai, woo, breaked in my post. Mordecai raised Esther, who was his cousin, for her parents had perished. So Mordecai, older than Esther, raised her. Mordecai, who lived with his cousin Esther, uh, received the letter in the mail. Esther went to the palace to enter the beauty contest, for she was beautiful and had a lovely figure. Mordecai told her, you tell no one you're a Jew. The young women had to go through a 12-month beauty treatment before they could appear before King Xerxes. Every day old Mordecai would find a way to ask Esther how things were going. And in time, the virgins appeared before King Xerxes and Esther, give her a hand. Esther, the beautiful Jewish uh, virgin, won the king's heart. Esther became the queen of Persia. Esther had not been queen long when Mordecai uh, was sitting in the king's gate and overheard a plot. Two officials were plotting to kill King Xerxes. Mordecai told Esther about the threats. As they were being investigated, they were found to be true. And those two men were impaled on poles. Esther gave the credit to Mordecai, and it was recorded in the king's book of historical records. Haman, <laughs> was a noble in the king's court. He was not aware of Esther's background or of Mordecai's loyalty to the king. The Jewish tradition says Haman <laughs> was a relative of the Amalekites, just like I told you earlier. So our story is right on track. Haman was honored and became powerful in King Xerxes' kingdom. He was the prime minister. Say that. He was the prime minister. Haman 
arrogant and egotistical and prideful and insisted, everybody bows down to me when I'm in your presence. Everyone did, except Mordecai. Mordecai refused to bow down, not because he wouldn't bow down in honor. He refused to bow down because he knew he was a descendant of the evil, wicked Amalekites. And he despised them. And he refused to bow down. Day after day, Haman (laughs) rode through in his royal steed. And day after day, the royal officials would bow. Everyone except who? Mordecai. Very good. (laughs) Haman... decided to go to the king for permission to have all of the Jews throughout the empire slaughtered. Haman did not know that the queen Esther was a Jew. He told King Xerxes, there are these certain people scattered across your empire who keep to themselves. Their customs are so bizarre and peculiar and they don't obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them, Haman said. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver from the plunder of the Jews into the king's royal treasury. So the king took off his signet ring and gave it to Haman and told him, you keep the money, but do what you want to do with these people. Lots were cast. On the day of annihilation, the Jews were to be slaughtered. Look, guys, slaughtered across the whole empire. Slaughtered for no reason other than that they were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The day was chosen, the 13th day of our of our. February or March because of how our calendar falls. Letters were written in every language and sent across the empire by King Xerxes' decree. All Jews are to be slaughtered on the 13th day of the 12th month. All Jews, young, old, men, women, infants, children. When Mordecai... (laughs) That's okay. When Mordecai learned... What had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the city and wailed loudly. Wail loudly with me. Wailed loudly all across the empire. Jews were in great mourning. You would be too, and I would be too, if those swords were coming our way. Across the empire, the Jews were in great mourning with fasting and weeping and wailing. Let me hear you wail. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Queen Esther's eunuchs told her about Mordecai's actions. She sent him clean clothes, but he refused to wear them. She told him, find out what's going on with Mordecai. Mordecai told Queen Esther's attendants all about the edict and gave them a copy of the law to show Queen Esther that all Jews are to be slain. Mordecai told the eunuchs, you tell Queen Esther to go to the king and beg for our lives, beg for her people. But the king didn't know she was a Jew. Oh, what would she do? What would she do? What would you do? Would she die if she went to her king? She was afraid. She told Mordecai to fast and have all the Jews, no food, no water for three days. Sounds like the day.
day of atonement, doesn't it? Fast, fast, fast. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Queen Esther had to appear before the king, but it was against the law to enter into his presence without an invitation. If she walked into his presence and he didn't hold up his golden scepter, she would be slain. Oh, what would she do? She could be slain with, with sweaty palms and with shaking legs. She walked into the royal hallway and the king saw her and he held out his golden scepter. She was a nervous wreck with shaking hands. She touched the scepter. And the king asked asked her, what is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? Esther invited the king and Haman to a banquet she prepared for them on that very day. The king said that he and Haman would be there. Haman was so excited because he was going to get to have a banquet with the king and the queen. The only thing that could have dampened his spirits was the sight of that stinking Mordecai. Once again, he saw him, and Mordecai would not bow. Haman went home to tell his wife the good news of getting to dine with the king and queen. But he could not fully enjoy it, for he hated Mordecai so much. His wife told him, Hey, sweetie, build a pole, build a gallows 75 feet tall and prepare it for Mordecai's demise. Yes, yes, he said, I'll do that. And he ordered a 75-foot gallows to be built for Mordecai's demise. Demise. The banquet uh, went good, but Esther couldn't bring herself to bring up the issue. She became frozen in fear. Have you guys ever become frozen in fear? She became frozen in fear. So she said, let's have another banquet tomorrow on the following day. That night, the king could not sleep. He asked someone to read to him from the royal book of the Chronicles. That night, he read how Mordecai saved him from a certain death. And he was never rewarded. Mordecai was never rewarded for saving the king's life. The next day, Xerxes told Haman... Get a royal steed, get a royal robe, and place Mordecai on that horse, and you lead him through town and say, This is what happens to the man who honors the king. Haman was mortified. Haman was furious. He could not tell the king how he hated Mordecai. Meanwhile, Queen Esther had a banquet going, ready for King Xerxes and for Haman. When they both arrived, they sat down to eat, and King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Oh, baby, baby, what do you want? Queen Esther fell down. She fell to the king's feet. Please, please, king, if I found favor in you at all, if I found favor in your eyes, please grant that my people may live. We have been sold. We have been sold to be destroyed. Please, please save my people. If only we were to be sold as slaves. Oh, king, I wouldn't say anything. But we've been sold to destruction. Please. And King Xerxes said, Who is he? Who is he? Who is the man that dares do such a thing? And she said, Haman. This vile Haman. Haman was terrified. And he fell upon the queen to beg for his life. 
And the king said to Haman, and the king said to Haman, will you molest the queen as she is lying in my very house? The king ordered Haman to be hung on the gallows that was prepared for Mordecai. Very good. On the 13th, then the king gave uh, Queen Esther all of Haman's estate. And the king wrote a new order giving the Jews of the whole empire the right to defend themselves against their attackers. And on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jews defended themselves against those who hated him. The Jews stood together and fought so valiantly that no one could stand against them. The Jews also killed Haman's ten sons. His ten sons were, were slain, and they did not touch the plunder. What's that remind you of? Does that remind you of anything? It reminds yes. Yes, and it also reminds us of Abraham when he went to rescue Lot and he wouldn't touch the the plunder. God's going to care for us. God's going to care for us. God's going to care for us. They did not touch the plunder. Not only were the ten sons of Haman slain, but they were all hung on gallows too, just like their father Haman. So on the 15th day of the 12th month, Month, God gave His Jewish people deliverance. Victory. Let's have that shofar. Deliverance. Victory. Beautiful. The day that was supposed to be the day of their annihilation became the day of great celebration. The Feast of Purim, the Feast of Lots, is one more time God kept His promises. I will bring you out. I will set you free. I will redeem you. I will make you my own. God promised. God promised Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. It was through Abraham's seed that our Messiah would come. And the evil Haman fought to stand in the way of our redemption. Wonderful story. Tell your children. Tell your children. Tell your children. Go from this place. And shine for your King Jesus. We will go from this place and shine for our King Jesus. <laughs> we didn't do this last week. We'll try that again. Go from this place and shine for your King Jesus. We will shine for our King Jesus. Let it begin at home. It will begin at home. Very good. This is your homework assignment. You ask your children if they know about the Feast of Purim. And they won't. So you tell them. This should be celebrated every year in the Lord's church. Have a great day. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.